title of the message this morning is God's Building. We're going to be looking at a section from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In this mode, I, I found this, uh, this letter, I guess you'd call it a, a response to a workman's compensation thing. Maybe some of you heard this. It's kind of fun. It says, Dear Sir, I am writing in response to your request for additional information in block three of the accident report form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for a fuller explanation, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over, which, when weighed later, were found to be slightly in excess of 500 pounds. Rather than carrying the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the bricks. You will note in block 11 of the accident report form that I weigh 135 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate of speed up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed in Section 3 of the accident report form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoid of weight of the weight of the bricks, that barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations of my legs and lower body. Here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks, and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, as I lay on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. And I lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back down onto me. This explains the two broken legs. I hope this answers your inquiry. He mentioned this was to explain his first title, his simpler title, which was Poor Planning. Poor planning at a construction site can cause great loss. This morning, we are going to enter a construction zone. You guys ready? Grab your hard hat. And let's go meet the contractor, Paul. Now, you may notice that this building is nearly done. It's been actually worked on for about 2,000 years. It is the church. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Paul has been speaking to the Corinthians. If you've been with us, you know this is a church with problems. To make a long story short, one of their major problems, the first one that Paul decided to deal with was division, division in the church. They were dividing up into camps. Some would be under the banner that said, I'm of Paul. 
Paul was the founder of the church. I'm with him. Some were under the banner of Apollos, saying, well, Paul's great and all, but Apollos is much more eloquent. There were some that were under the banner of Peter that said, look, he was one of the original 12. Paul's been making the point now over these first three chapters that he and Apollos and Peter are just workers for God. That God is to be the focus. Verses 5 through 9 that we looked at on Thursday, Paul used the illustration of God having a field. He basically says that me and Apollos, we were just working on God's field. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who brings the increase. Paul was saying to the Corinthian church, look, I planted the church in Corinth and Apollos watered it. I planted the words in your heart, the word in your heart, and Apollos watered the word. Paul's point was, look, we did our assignments. We just did what God wanted us to do. We were mere workers. He said, we did our assignments, but God did the astounding. We did the menial, but God did the miracle. Paul says, look, we're just God's fellow workers. And he says, and the project that God gave us as his fellow workers was you. Paul says in verse 9, he says to the church, look, you are God's field. We're his workers and he told us to work on you. You are God's field. You're the field that he had me plant in, that he had Apollos water in. And now as we come to the end of verse 9, Paul switches illustrations. He's still talking about workers, God's workers, working with God and for God. But now the illustration turns from agriculture, working in God's field, to architecture, working on God's building. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Paul says to the church at Corinth, and I say to you today, at Calvary Chapel of the Lakes, you are God's building. You may have discovered we're currently a portable church. I don't know if you noticed that. Today, we meet here at the YMCA on Tuesday morning. If you were listening to the announcements, even if they were in Scottish, hopefully you heard. Tuesday morning, the men's group is meeting at the Nazarene Church across the street. Tuesday night, ladies, Bible study at the Nazarene. Wednesday, the youth group at Charles Clendenny's house. On Wednesday, the singles meet at David Whitneybird's house. On Thursday night, we're back at the Nazarene. Saturday, a group of guys come in here and set this up again. 24 hours ago, believe it or not, this place was an exercise room. You know what it is today? It's the holy temple of God. Now, of course, we are praying for and preparing for, I think, as best we know how, for whatever building the Lord might have for us in his time. We don't want to miss it. And no doubt some people won't take us seriously until we have a building. But you guys know, the Bible, when it speaks of a church, never refers to a physical building. The church is not brick and mortar and steel and glass. Paul points out right here at the end of verse 9, you are God's building. 24 hours ago, this was an exercise room. Now it's the temple of God. What's the difference? You are here. 
First Peter chapter two, verse five says the church it's, it's your family memory verse this week. It says the church is a spiritual house and you are the stones. You are the living stones that make up the spiritual house of God. The church is not a man-made building. Even when we get a church, the church will not be a man-made building. You know what I mean? Even when we get that building, that won't be the church. You are the church. The church is God's building. Like, as in verb. The building that God is doing in human lives with human living stones. Now, Paul takes this illustration as we go forward and, well, builds on it. Ba-da-bum. He's the foreman, if you will, on this building project in Corinth. Oh, look, we're just in time for the morning meeting with the foreman. He's giving instructions now to the laborers, Paul is. Look at verse 10. He says, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. I don't know if you notice it, but I get the distinct impression here that this is about personal responsibility. Remember the theme, starting back in verse 5, is that we are God's fellow workers. We are workers together, but we're also amazingly workers with God. And look back at verse 8. Verse 8 is when Paul was using agriculture as his illustration. Verse 8, he says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. One of the messages that we learned on Thursday was that we are a team. We are working together. Paul was trying to bring this group of Corinthians who were scattered. He was trying to bring them together saying, look, you're dividing under me and under Apollos, but we are on the same team. We're working on the same field. We're following the same Lord. He's the one who's giving us our assignments. That's the beginning of verse 8, but look at the end of verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You see, the point is that not only are we a team, but each worker, each individual worker, will receive a reward. See, God is paying very close attention to each one of us. And the work that we are doing or that we're not doing to build up his church. And so Paul, as our foreman, with his hard hat on, gives us this speech. Verse 10 again. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Poor planning can have you suffer great loss. Paul is saying, I don't want you guys to to plan poorly. Let each one take heed how he builds on it. The beginning of verse 10, Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me. Paul's our foreman for this section of verses here. And what he's saying here is that we are each given assignments on the construction site. 
Paul's saying, look, only because of the grace of God, the good favor, the loving kindness, the mercy of God, did he give me this job as the master builder in Corinth. Paul was the first guy on the scene. He got his instructions from the Lord. And he said, okay, I want you to lay the foundation. Everybody on the construction site gets an assignment. Do you understand that? He does have an assignment for you. And it's according to his grace. Now, today, because we love leisure, sometimes we hear the idea, hey, you have an assignment, and it doesn't thrill us. <laughs> it's like, that's the last thing I need is one more assignment. But what we see as we go through here, that each assignment has a reward attached to it. And there's no way you can get a reward unless you do the assignment. Paul says, I was a wise master builder. The word is architecton. Might sound familiar, like architect. What it's saying that is Paul was in charge of this kind of from the beginning. But don't want you to misunderstand. When we think of an architect, we think of a guy who lays it out from beginning to end and he has the whole vision in his head. No, that would be God. Because Paul said back in verse 9, he said, this is God's project. The best way to describe Paul on, in this would be that he was the foreman. He was the, the general contractor. He was wise, he says. He says, as a wise master builder. He was wise. The word wise, we've seen it as we've gone through 1 Corinthians. Another definition of it is skilled. When you're speaking of someone who's speaking eloquently, that you would use the word wise. But when you're speaking of someone who is actually doing some physical work, it would be skilled. Paul's saying, as a skilled laborer, as an expert foreman, and indeed, Paul was an expert foreman when it came to building churches, was he not? I mean, he had laid many foundations. All over the world, he had planted churches. He showed his wisdom, as a matter of fact, by what he did first. Verse 10 again, I have laid the foundation. It's the first thing you've got to do. And another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid. In other words, that which I laid in Corinth, which is Jesus Christ. Now, how many people have ever had a house built or been the contractor on your own building or done construction work? Yeah. You guys know the very first thing that has to happen is that the foundation must be laid and it must be laid correctly and well. Jesus spoke of this. He said he had a picture of a man who would build on sand versus a man who would build on rock. He's like, look, if you build your house, you build your life on sand it will come crashing down. As soon as the first storm comes, it's gone. But if you build your house, your life, on solid rock, it will stand. Paul came into Corinth with his hard hat on and immediately began to lay the foundation of the church, which is Jesus. He spoke about Jesus. He talked about Jesus all the time. Look back with me, chapter 2. Take a left. Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul walks into Corinth lays the foundation, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined, here it is, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, okay, when I walk into this, this place, I'm going to lay the foundation, and it's going to be nothing but solid talk about Jesus. He says, I skipped all the, the excellence of words. I skipped all the worldly wisdom. I, I skipped all the stuff that might be attractive. He said, I laid the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. The church was 
and is, by the way, built on only one foundation, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look at verse 11. For now, for, excuse me, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say for no other foundation may anyone lay. It says no other foundation can anyone lay. In other words, if you build on anything other than Jesus, if you build a church on anything other than Jesus, it's not even a church. It's not even something that you can call a church. This is how you determine the difference between just a really messed up church and a cult. What, what's at the foundation? Are they built actually on Jesus Christ? On the biblical Jesus? Or some, just some facsimile? Or are they built on uh, activism or whatever it might be? If a group is built on Jesus, the real Jesus, it will stand. If it's built on, for instance, the spirit brother of Lucifer, it's not a church. If it's built on a Jesus who was not born of a virgin, who was not sinless, if it's not built on a church who was crucified and raised on the third day, it's not a church, it's a cult. If they are built on a Jesus who is anything less than God incarnate, it's not even a church. He says, you cannot build a foundation on anything other than Jesus Christ. And sadly, there are some mainline churches that are today, even as we speak, I think, sliding off of their foundation. A church cannot be built on activism or even noble causes, good things, like fighting hunger. You can't build a church on these things. God's church is built on one foundation, Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. The work that He did for me, which actually makes me want to do the good things. Does that make sense? Here at this church, you should hear a lot about Jesus. In the singing that we do, in the teaching... Jesus Christ is the very foundation, the bedrock upon which any real church is built. So, Paul, as a skilled foreman, he poured the foundation. Now what? Verse 10 again. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Paul's original point was this. Look, I poured the foundation and then God called me away from Corinth. He says, and then another came and built upon it. You guys know who that person was. If you've been with us, it's Apollos, was the next guy in line in the, in the crew. Apollos was the next foreman, if you will. Paul, Apollos came and built upon the foundation that Paul had laid. And no doubt by this time, by the time Paul has written this, there are many other people who have been teaching the church at Corinth. They've all reported for duty at the construction site. And Paul says, let each one... Take heed how he builds on it. You guys, the first application, you know, as we get into this, we're going to see. This is a, a familiar section of verses, but a lot of times we, we start as an application that it applies to the way that we build our lives personally. And that's true. But in context, the real first message is to me. The real first message is to anyone who seeks to build a church. Paul, the foreman, if you will, is addressing every pastor, every teacher, every evangelist, every Sunday school teacher with these words. This is God's church. This is his building. This is made up of living, precious stones. 
Like Paul is saying to me, to anyone who's in the ministry, look, I've laid the foundation. Don't you blow it. Verse 12, he says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Turn with me, if you have it, to First Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to see those first three materials used. First Chronicles chapter 29, we're going to look back and see the very first construction zone for God. You remember when David built the temple? King David is the foreman now. And notice the materials. Verse 1, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, to all of his construction crew, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might gold for those things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. He says, this is from my own uh, First, this is from my own bank account. Verse 4, 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ephir, Ophir, excuse me, and 7,000 talents of refine, refined silver to overlay the walls of the house, the gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of the craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Verse 6, then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehi the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're talking about God's building. And remember, we're not talking about a physical building in chapter 3, but the building up of the lives of the saints. This is saying to me, and again to every pastor, to every teacher, look, I have set the foundation, now you get to choose what to build with. Paul is telling me, I get to choose what to build with. I mean, I can choose to build with gold and silver and precious stones, just like David did. Or I can choose wood, hay, and straw. The first are permanent. And they're costly. And you have to dig for them. The latter, the wood, hay, and straw, on the other hand, those are easy to come by. They're quick, they're easy, they're cheap. Now, what exactly is Paul referring to when he says these, these first three, gold, silver, precious stones, and then these last three, wood, Hay and straw. Well, if you've been with us in 1 Corinthians, you probably know the context from beginning the middle of chapter 1 all the way through now to chapter 3. The context is worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is wood, hay, straw. Godly wisdom is gold, silver, precious jewels. Listen, Worldly wisdom is cheap. It's easy to come by. It's quick. Worldly wisdom goes, 
Look out for number one. You only go around once. Be in it for yourself. You can get worldly wisdom. You can get worldly wisdom from sitting on your couch. You can sit on your couch and listen to Oprah or Dr. Phil. Simply sit on your couch and you can soak it in and you can get worldly wisdom. I'm not saying that all of that is bad, but it's worldly wisdom. It's, it's wood, hay, and straw. Godly wisdom, on the other hand, is costly. You have to dig for it in the, the Bible that you're holding. You have to dig for it. But here's the upside. It's permanent. It is permanent. Sad to say, many churches have become just a reflection of our society. People go, they, they go to get entertained to get worldly wisdom. They go to learn how to succeed in business, in love, in family relationships, as though those were the main things and not a byproduct. Have you ever driven down the street and you see billboard for churches these days? They'll, how they pitch, pitch themselves? They'll say, well, if you come to our church, we'll teach you how to uh, be successful in life. Churches use the latest gimmick to get people through the doors. And a lot of times people come in and they leave going, that was cool. That was really cool. It was almost like, like David Letterman, but it was church. It's wood. It's hay. It's straw. That was the exact problem with the Corinthian church, wasn't it? They were supposed to be impacting their world, but instead they were infected by the world, by Corinth around them. I have a choice. As a pastor, I have a choice. We can build the church with wood, hay, and straw. We could put a thermometer on the front. Right? Say we're announcing that we're going to do a pledge drive. We're going to, we're going to have all these goals. Right? And, and we could use worldly tactics. The, the, the idea that we're competitive. Men, we're competitive. Right? You put a thermometer up there. It's like, okay, well, we can do this. We can, we can do these things. We can make our very first priority, for instance, to get a building. As though that would make all the difference. We could use all these manipulative ways to make it happen. But it's wood hay and stubble. You can build a church really fast with wood, hay, and straw, but you can't build one that lasts with those things. The proper way to build God's building is with things that last. Gold, silver, precious stones. It speaks of cost. It speaks of expense, of sacrifice, of time. But what are you going to have when you're finished? You're going to have a thing of beauty and a thing that lasts. And whatever you use as your materials will become evident. Look at verse 13. Paul says, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. It says there in verse 13 that the day will declare it. In Second Peter verse three, or sorry, Second Peter chapter three, verse ten says, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat." See, Paul is talking about the time when, when, all that is here, all the temporal, the physical things, will melt away. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Second Peter says, "See, there's coming a day when this building we're in right now." will melt. It will be a charred mass 
of molten steel, brick, glass. And you know what? If the Lord blesses us with a building that same day, that building will be the same. It'll be a, a mass char of gold, or excuse me, of, of steel, brick, and glass. How many, again, how many people have had a house built or been responsible for a house being house built? You guys are familiar with that thing called the final inspection? Right? Um, builders who are facing final inspection, you usually hope you're going to get someone who's good, who's thorough, but he's not in a bad mood. Well, we are all, and this is where, like, so far you've been like, well, okay, so this is a message to you, Doug. No, you guys get part of this too. We are all, not just me, we are all given an assignment in God's construction zone, on his construction site. And there is a final inspection. And it's pretty straightforward. The inspector walks up to your section of the building and he throws in a match. And he waits, or a blowtorch. Or actually, Revelation chapter 1 verse 14 describes Jesus saying his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. It could be that on that day, Jesus just looks at what you've done. And it's a flame of fire. And it's a pretty simple inspection. Whatever lasts, whatever endures, okay, there's your reward. Verse 13, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. See, the fire completely consumes wood, hay, and straw. But the precious stones remain. And crazy enough, the gold and the silver are actually refined by fire. Verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. You know why? Because his foundation still remains. He himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So what does this mean? I've told you about the application for me. What does it mean for you? I don't know if there's anyone in the room who's not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, here's the first application. You need to come to Jesus. You need to have your foundation set upon him. The foundation of your life, if it's not Jesus... Basically, you have no foundation. You are on shifting sand. The Bible says that you're a vapor that's going to pass away like that. You will be consumed with the brightness of His coming. If you're not a Christian, the very first thing you have to do is set your foundation. Invite Him into your life. Say, Lord, I'm a wreck, but Your Word says that You are a strong foundation, and I want for You to be my strong foundation. Christian, though, hopefully that's most, if not all, of the people in the room. Your foundation is set. It's, it's locked away. You don't have to worry about your foundation. But what Paul says here to us as workers, fellow workers, he says, you know, it's 8 o'clock, you all had your donuts, your coffee. Here's the thing. Be careful how you build. Be careful with what you build because there's coming a final inspection. Are you building with the wisdom of the world? Are you building your life? Are you building into the church? Are you building your life with the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God? I did a little bit more research on wood and hay and stubble. 
and straw. And this is, you know, just my own kind of musings. Okay, so I'm not sure if this is like totally inspired, but it's interesting to me. When you find wood in the Bible, it's either talking about the cross or a club, it seems like. In the New Testament, it's either saying a tree or a cross or a club. To me, a club speaks of power. Here's a question. Are you building your life with wood in the pursuit of power? In the pursuit of getting people to do what you want, the way you want, the time you want. That's wood. What about hay? Well, this one, to me, is, is really interesting. You can turn to me if you, with, with me if you want. Uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. That's the same word for hay. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. If its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Christian, are you building on this wonderful foundation that's been laid for you? Are you building on it riches? Is it the pursuit of riches that you're building? Because the Bible says that that's hay. It will burn away. And you'll be left with only your foundation. What about straw? To me, this was the most interesting of all. Um, you, even, you can't even really find it in the Bible other than here, that, this word. The word is calame. It's a stalk of grain or a reed, stubble, the stalk left after the ears are cut off. In other words, leftovers. The straw is the cheapest most you can find it anywhere if you want to build something out of straw you can just go in your backyard and grab it and throw it up there because it's leftovers i wonder if building god's house with straw would be the same as when we give him our leftovers like oh well there's nothing good on television tonight so i guess i'll go to church or, well, I'm not able to tithe because I don't have anything left over. Or in worship, look, I just don't feel like worshiping today. I mean, if I felt better, if I had energy left over, I would worship. Or in serving, I just don't have the time. I've got time for television and stuff, but I just don't have this left over. Now, maybe you're thinking, whoa, Doug, that's a little bit heavy-handed. I don't know. I do know that to me, Paul is saying, look, there's coming a time when we are being inspected for the work that we're doing. And my basic point is this. I want everybody to have a reward. I want you guys to have a reward so that I'll look good. <laughs> See, if you're building with temporary stuff, wood, hay, straw, leftovers, pleasure, power, wealth, giving God your leftovers, there's coming a day when you are going to be standing on your foundation and your whole house, everything else you've built is just burnt around you. Now we can praise God for that foundation. That will never leave. 
But verse 15 says, If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So, it's a, it's a melancholy, it's a mixed kind of thing, right? He'll be saved. That's a good thing. You ever see the, the, an article of somebody who's been rescued from a fire? A family that's like, well, we have each other. We don't have anything else, but we have each other. It's a wonderful, grateful feeling, right? They're, they're grateful to be alive, to have their family. But I bet you if you asked any of them, they'd rather have their house back. They will, well, yeah. I am so grateful that every single one of us who called Jesus Lord, we've escaped the fire. And if you ask those, those folks, they're like, I'm so grateful I escaped the fire, but if I could have done it differently, I would have. You hear what I'm saying? I don't want any of us to be like that. I don't want it to be, oh, if I, could have, if I just could have done it differently, I would have. Because eternity is a long time to spend in the house that we've built up there. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm even getting it right, but it's, it's close. A wealthy woman died and went to heaven. And when she got there, she was really mad because she found out that the gardener, her own gardener, had a much bigger mansion than she did. She's like, what's up with that? She had a shack, basically. And she went and complained and What they said was, well, ma'am, we can only build with that which you've sent ahead. The point being that she had not sent ahead. Her security was there. She had her foundation. But what rewards are we cheating ourselves from when we don't build with the solid, strong things? Again, a week from Thursday... We're going to be living out James 1, 27. We're going to be, what James says is pure and undefiled religion, is this. To visit the orphan, the widow, in their time of trouble. Believe it or not, that seems like a really quick thing. I mean, we're going to go for an hour and it'll be over. That seems like a quick thing, like a vapor, but actually that's the stuff that lasts. I was thinking about that. Everything that you think of, all the stuff that, you're, that you and I sometimes seek after... The stuff that looks so permanent is exactly the stuff that's going to burn. And the stuff that looks so temporary is so often the stuff that God is going to make permanent. 